Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. conference operator for today. At this time, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Auto Canada first quarter 2021 earnings call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question during this time, simply press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. I would like to remind everyone that certain statements in this presentation and our call are forward-looking in nature, including, among other things, future performance and the implementation of the go-forward plan. These include statements involving known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and other factors outside of management's control that could cause actual results to differ material from those expressed in the forward-looking statement. Auto Canada does not assume any responsibility for the accuracy and completeness of the forward-looking statement and does not undertake any obligations to publicly revise these forward-looking statements to reflect subsequent events or circumstances. For additional information about possible risks, please refer to our AIF, which is available on SEDAR and our website within the investment documentation and filing section. I would now like to turn the call over to Mike Boris, Chief Financial Officer. Please go ahead. Thank you, Anidra. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's first quarter results conference call. <clears throat> for today's call, I'm joined by Paul Anthony, our Executive Chair, Michael Rollick, President of our Canadian Operations, Peter Hong, our Chief Strategy Officer, Casey Charleston, our Vice President of Finance, and Kevin McPherson, our Director of Finance. We released our Q1 results after the market closed yesterday. A copy of our results is available for download on our website. For today's call, we will be discussing the current state of the business, discussing the financial results, and providing an update on both our Canadian and U.S. segments. With that, I'd like to turn it over to Paul. Thanks, Mike, and good morning, everyone. Uh, before I begin, I'd like to thank our employees and partners who continue to perform at a high level and support us through the challenges of the ongoing pandemic. We're thrilled to report another record-setting quarter. It's powered by the team's unrelenting drive, laser focus on execution. Our operations delivered first quarter records across almost every key metric. Starting with revenue, where we recorded an all-time record first quarter revenue of $969.8 million through adjusted EBITDA of $47.2 million, or $36.1 million on a pre-IFRS 16 basis, which was 723% better as compared to Q1 2020. This was a tremendous performance from top to bottom. Our team extended its streak by outperforming the market in Canada for the ninth consecutive quarter. And that's our primary measure for gauging performance, which provided continued val validation of the value of the Auto Canada platform that we've built. 
Last quarter, we discussed key structural advantages that we expect to benefit from. These advantages played a significant role in our performance this quarter. First, digital. Over the last year, we've formed online sales departments at each dealership. These departments are responsible for taking online customers through the entire sales transaction, providing continuity regardless of whether the customer transacts completely online or comes into the dealership. During Q1, nearly one out of every three retail vehicles sold at Auto Canada dealerships transacted solely through our online sales departments. While our competitors may strive to provide similar experiences, we believe the consistency of our service across dealerships remains unmatched in the marketplace. This is just the beginning, and we'll continue to further develop our omni-channel experience over the coming quarters. Two, scale. From our ability to hire and attract top-tier talented dealerships to supporting and training our dealers with best practices that have been refined across 49 dealerships in almost every province, we continue to see the benefits of being Canada's only centralized dealership platform of scale. Three, diversification. This quarter highlighted the benefits of our commitment to supporting the entire customer lifecycle. Each component of the Auto Canada engine was in motion and played a significant role, from used vehicle sales to right ride, F&I, parts, service, and collision. All of our initiatives are showing traction and are on track for continued growth. Four, balance sheet. The depth of our balance sheet and access to capital enab enabled us to bulk up on inventory during the winter and continue purchasing <coughs> vehicles as we prepared for a potential new and used vehicle shortage. Five, data. As we purchased vehicles in the winter, our in-house data science team provided critical analytics and metrics to optimize our inventory distribution. Acquiring inventory was simply step one of our process. Utilizing data to determine where inventory should go, whether by dealership, brand, or by province, enabled us to maximize our profit potential on each unit. Lastly, through our presence in all provinces of Canada, we have developed an intimate knowledge of the nuances in rules and regulations across the country, enabling us to optimize our approach as required. We'll continue to revisit these themes during the call and in the quarters to come, but for now, we're very pleased with our performance this quarter. We're not here to spike the football. We've already turned our attention towards capitalizing on this positive momentum and consolidating our outperformance in a way that carries us through this year and beyond. The strength of our operating platform and balance sheet has enabled us to continue to develop organically as well as to focus on an acquisition and innovation strategy. Given our strong business position and available market opportunities, we see significant opportunities to grow as an industry consolidator in both the short term and the long term. With the successful financing actions we recently completed through our credit facility amendment and the add-on to venture, which Mike will speak to shortly, we are primed to move forward on our business strategy. Our employees in Canada and the U.S. continue to work tirelessly and delivered excellent performance. Thank you so much. We have entered 2021 with very strong momentum, and we remain well prepared to face any challenges in the current environment. I'll come back to speak more about the business model and strategy in my concluding remarks, but for now I'll turn it over to Mike. 
Thanks, Paul, and good morning again to everyone on the call. I'll take some time here to speak to the recent work completed to better position our balance sheet for our acquisition pipeline. Effective April 14, we amended and extended our credit facility for three years to 2024. It will always be our intent to maintain a three-year tenor to our credit facility. The amended credit facility increases our revolver from $175 million to $225 million and takes our floor plan financing facility up to $1.06 billion from $750 million previously. Including a wholesale leasing facility of $15 million, the aggregate of our bank facilities is $1.3 billion, up from $950 million previously. Given the progress that we are making on Project 50 and used vehicle sales, one of the key changes made in our facility is the ability to take our used line up to 40% of the floor plan facility, essentially doubling our previous used capacity. Concurrent with the credit facility amendment and extension, we launched and closed on an add-on offering for our existing 8.75% senior unsecured notes due 2025. Initially launched at 100 million against the backdrop strong demand and being oversubscribed by three times, we were able to upsize the offering to $125 million at a yield-to-worst rate of 5.595%, a darn good improvement from the initial offering in February 2020. With the premium to par, the offering netted as proceeds of $133.4 million before fees. On the same day as the launch of the offering add-on, S&P had issued its own research report announcing a one-notch upgrade to our corporate issuer rating, from B- minus to single B with a stable outlook, and a two-notch upgrade on our instrument rating from triple C- minus to a single B. The S&P upgrade, add-on offering, and revolver upsizing at $50 million all contributed to activating our dry powder of just over $250 million and allowing us to move forward on our acquisition pipeline of well in excess of $150 million. Given the deals we currently have in the pipeline, we do not foresee our debt leverage extending outside of our target debt leverage over the next 18 months. At the end of this first quarter, 2021, our debt leverage improved to 0.7 times, as compared to 3.2 times in the prior year, and as compared to 6.6 times at the end of the first quarter in 2019. Our least adjusted net debt leverage was 3.0 times at the end of the first quarter, as compared to 6.1 times at the end of the first quarter in 2020. Trailing 12-month free cash flow of $145 million compares to $105 million in the prior year. We enjoyed our seventh straight quarter of positive free cash flows with Q1 2021. One highlight I will speak to here before turning this over to Casey. With the ongoing success of our complete business model driving stability and resiliency of our profitability and cash flows, we have now, with our strong Q1 results, moved our pre-IFRS 16 adjusted EBITDA on a TTM basis to $111.5 million. Our pre-IFRS 16 adjusted EBITDA margin improves to 3.1% from 1.5% in the prior year on a TTM basis. I have to end my piece here as I have since the end of the first quarter of 2020. We cannot know what the future holds for us with COVID-19 and now this third wave seemingly in a race against time with vaccination. But with the actions we've taken to strengthen the business and the balance sheet, we are well positioned to weather any outcome. With that, I'll turn it over to Casey to discuss our results. Casey Charleston joined us in mid-March as VP Finance to further strengthen and add depth to the broader finance organization as we enter a period of growth. Casey knows Auto Canada well 
previously having worked with PwC as a director in the assurance group and on our file for a number of years before moving on into private industry. Casey, over to you. Thanks, Mike. At the consolidated level, revenue came in at $969.8 million, an increase of $261 million, or 36.8%. Gross profit came at $167.6 million, an increase of $50.3 million, or 42.9%. Adjusted, EBITDA came in at $47.2 million, which was an increase of $41.5 million, or 723% over Q1 2020. In our Canadian operations, total retail vehicles sold came in at 15,685, an increase of 4,730 units, or 43.2%. The Canadian operations generated revenue of 863.8 million, an increase of 37.9% versus the prior year. Gross profit was 152.2 million, an increase of 43.4%. Adjusted, EBITDA was $43.2 million, an increase of $34.5 million. Normalizing for COVID-related items, including Q's income of $2.9 million and a rent subsidy of $0.2 million, normalized, adjusted, EBITDA was $40.1 million, an increase of $31.4 million. On a pre-IFRS 16 basis, Canada's normalized, adjusted, EBITDA was $30.1 million or 3.5% of revenue. Other key highlights include the following. Same store gross profit increased by 37.8 million or 35%. And our gross profit percentage increased to 18.4% from 17.5%. Same store used to new retail units ratio increased to 1.19 in the quarter from 1.08. Same store F&I gross profit per retail unit increased to 3085 of 15.5% or $413 per unit. Same store, F&I gross profit dollars increased 17 million or 58.2%. In our US operations, revenue was 106 million, an increase from Q1 2020 of 29%. Gross profit was 15.5 million, an increase of 38.5%. Adjusted EBITDA was $4 million, an increase of $7 million from 2020. Normalizing for the forgiveness of $5.4 million of Paycheck Protection Program loans received, normalized adjusted EBITDA was negative $1.4 million, an increase of $1.6 million. New vehicle gross profit increased by $2.2 million, and new vehicle gross profit percentage increased by 4 percentage points to 4.3%. Used vehicle revenue increased by 33.7% and used vehicle gross profit increased by 88.9%. Used vehicle gross profit percentage increased by 1.7 percentage points. The number of used retail vehicles sold increased by 23.2% to 897 units. I'll now turn the call over to Michael Rollick to discuss our Canadian operations. Thank you to everyone for taking the time to join us today. We had a fantastic first quarter. There's no other way to put it. Every aspect of the business performed, and while we are tremendously proud of these results, we are more proud of how we got here. 
Thank you to our entire team across Canada for outperforming the Canadian market for the ninth consecutive quarter. We also want to extend a special thanks to our OEMs and strategic partners who continue to work alongside of us. Our performance in Q1 was not an accident and it was not an anomaly. It was strategically mapped in the Go Forward plan, assembled in the Auto Canada playbook and executed by our team leaders and realized through an intense focus on excellence in running our 10-day operational sprints. An important milestone in the Go Forward plan was achieving a normalized pre-IFRS 16 adjusted EBITDA margin of 3.5%. And we are pleased to report that we have attained this number in the most difficult quarter of the year. Expense ratios are under control and margins are strong across the business. For the ninth consecutive quarter, We outperformed the Canadian market with our same-store new retail unit sales increasing by almost 30% compared to the market increase of 15.2%. This performance was due in part to our dedicated online sales departments that were created in every dealership to serve the consumer's shift to digital and remote purchasing. These teams are supported by our centralized digital marketing department, internet lead specialists, and trainers from head office. In Q1, we exceeded our Project 50 goal by selling an average of 56 used vehicles a month per dealership. In addition, we're excited to report that Project 50 was achieved on an annual basis by selling an average of 50 used vehicles a month per dealership over the last 12 months. In our finance and insurance business, we are proud to report that our same-store gross profit per retail unit increased to $3,085 up 15.5% or $413 per unit. This level of performance solidifies our global leadership in this area and sets a new benchmark for the industry. Each of the ancillary businesses, including Right Ride, our special finance division, Wholesale Export and Collision are all making strong contributions to the bottom line and growing exponentially. We're not even close to being done here and are excited by the belief that there's so much capacity for more. While our fast-paced industry does not allow us much time for reflection, it is clear that this exceptional performance is a result of rebuilding our business on the foundation of our four pillars, process, data, training, and culture. These four pillars are the framework of the Auto Canada Playbook, which was created to align our activities, to our vision, and to our strategy. The foundation is our 10-day sprints, which is a program focused on achieving short-term targets while recalibrating resources and direction with speed and agility. This playbook of our best practices provides a competitive advantage to our dealerships. A long-standing truism is that culture is everything, and the foundation of our culture is transparency and data. A meaningful portion of Auto Canada's progress results directly from operational analytics, and subsequently each process in the playbook is supported by our world-class enterprise data warehouse, our business analysts, and by our trainers. Transparency is promoted by equipping our managers and team members with real-time dashboards that promote optimal decisions. Human wisdom, meticulously process mapped through cutting-edge methods, paired with machine learning and artificial intelligence, has taken us from knowing what is, to predicting what will be, to prescribing what should be. This intersection between data and operational execution 
provided Auto Canada with early insights into the current inventory supply issues faced by the industry. Early indicators from our system prompted us to increase our inventory levels in anticipation of this event. This is just one example of how our approach to data and analytics provides Auto Canada with a competitive advantage. We're in the middle of peak selling season and remain steadfast in our processes, our culture, and our team. Although we are operating with a high level of confidence, we are also aware of the risks on the horizon and are actively managing them. Inventory management has been a priority for us since October last year, and we continue to be laser focused. It's important to highlight that the current supply demand imbalance is not driven by the full recovery in the demand side, but rather a disruption in supply. According to DeRosier Automotive Consultants, new vehicle sales are down 8% compared to 2019, demonstrating that the market has not yet recovered to pre-pandemic levels. This is a good data point, as it demonstrates that there is still potential for increased demand in the market. Auto Canada was up 3.2% in new vehicle sales compared to Q1 2019, which evidences that we are taking market share. At the end of April, we had 109 days supply of new vehicles, not including our production pipeline. Although the supply chain issues have received a lot of headlines lately, we have been actively managing for this event since October of 2020. Throughout the winter, we stockpiled new vehicles by requesting additional production when it was available and purchasing declined allocation from our competitors when the market was uncertain and the supply chain issues were not fully apparent. Although we expect additional challenges in the months ahead, we are certainly in pull position when it comes to inventory. We entered May with 89 days supply of used vehicles based on selling a minimum of 60 used vehicles per month per dealership. It's true that used vehicles are difficult to source right now, but we stockpiled massive amounts of used vehicles during the winter through a dedicated centralized used vehicle buying strategy. This strategy has paid huge dividends, allowing us to enter the spring market with ample inventory, which also drives a high replenishment rate through vehicle trade-ins. We're already five weeks past these Q1 results and we can confirm that our momentum continues. Since the launch of the Go Forward Plan in 2018, we have been disciplined in practicing our 10-day sprints with one goal, compete and win. Having recently completed our 100th operational sprint, we can say with confidence that we are a force. We are in game shape, battle-hardened through the pandemic, and focused on winning one 10-day sprint at a time. Over to you, Paul. Thanks, Michael. When you think about the growth opportunities, we often reference three distinct phases, crawl, walk, and run. Our Canadian operations have clearly entered the run phase and are primed to continue the momentum while aggressively pursuing growth opportunities. Our U.S. operations continue to make strides as well, having gone through a long crawl. We're now hitting our stride to enter the walk phase. On that note, during the first quarter, we're pleased to welcome Jim DuVos as Vice President of U.S. Operations. Jim brings over 20 years' experience in retail automotive in the Chicago area, with a strong record of helping dealerships take their next step forward. Jim takes the reins from Tammy and brings a growth-oriented mindset, which will help carry us through the walk phase and into the run phase. 
Although Jim only joined the team six weeks ago, his efforts have already delivered tangible improvements within our dealerships and have resulted in an evolutionary shift in operational culture from cost management to accelerated growth. With an increased focus on used vehicles in F&I, Jim is following many of the same plays that have made us successful in Canada. Overall, I look forward to the group's performance in the coming months under Jim's leadership. While we're incredibly proud of the quarter and our achievements to date, as I mentioned earlier, we're not here to spike the football. We have a battle-tested team that continues to keep its head down executing as we head into the summer months. Our performance reflects the fundamental strength of our business model, and our operational playbook allows us to be ready to execute on our next leg of growth and acquisition strategies. We remain extremely active in the buy-sell market, turning over every rock and exploring every opportunity, while maintaining discipline in our valuation methodologies and approach to transactions, as valuations have not yet fully reconciled with the realities of the industry. That said, our playbook allows us to overlay several growth vectors onto acquired dealerships, most not available to other dealers or dealer groups, of which successful execution on just a couple of those growth vectors can ensure we meet our internal hurdle requirements. Despite the challenging backdrop, we continue to look aggressively at acquisition targets that are and are currently engaged with multiple targets in connection with potential acquisitions well in excess of $150 million in transaction value. We're assessing this extensive pipeline of acquisition opportunities qualitatively and quantitatively with the goal of diversifying by geography and brands, in addition to expanding our network of used dealerships and collision centers. The majority of the pipeline is represented by franchise dealerships located in Ontario, Canada, and includes a mix of OEM brands that we currently operate and, importantly, brands that we do not currently operate. We anticipate being, uh, beginning to close on certain deals in Q2 of 2021, extending into Q3, while also continuing to develop our acquisition pipeline as we move forward beyond these initial acquisition opportunities. With a significantly strengthened financial position, we are well positioned to take advantage of the acquisition opportunities while maintaining our strong balance sheet and financial flexibility. As I mentioned last quarter, I also believe the strong reputation Auto Canada has now built over the last two years has made us an acquirer of choice in looking at acquisitions. As long as we remain within our target internal operating and capital allocation metrics, we're willing to work with vendors to achieve a deal that makes sense. As we've said before, we continue to be proactive and vigilant as to what the future holds with any ongoing impacts from COVID-19. That said, we believe we have stabilized the fundamentals of our business while identifying and developing several growth sectors, new cars aside, including F&I, parts and service, collision repair, near prime, subprime, and used only retail. Our team has been mobilized to approach each one of these growth opportunities with the same intensity and vigor with which we re rebuilt this company. These are truly exciting times for Auto Canada, and we're poised to take advantage of the disruption and consolidation in the industry and blaze a new path forward in the evolution of the company. Now I'm going to turn it over to the operator for any questions. Thank you.
At this time, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. That is star 1 to ask a question. We'll pause for a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Chris Murray with ATB Capital Markets. Thanks, folks. Good morning. Um, you know, just going back to the operating performance in the quarter, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll say this. The, uh, the gross profit percentages and, the, and even the, uh, the operating costs were pretty, uh, pretty uh, high for Q1. Um, just can you talk a little bit about, you know, your expectations on sustainability? Is there anything I know in that mix that um, would be skewing those upwards or, or, you know, is that really where the new baseline should be going forward? You know, there's been a couple quarters now in a row where, you know, certainly the numbers have moved up, but it's just, you know, I, I want to be careful about saying too good to be true, but I'm just worried about, you know, if there's any normalization coming. Mike, do you want to take that or Michael? Yeah, I can handle that. Um, so and if you look at the go forward plan originally, we set targets uh, for each of the main margin and, and operating expenses. And we're at our target, sort of, but um, it's not too good to be true. It's actually, we're not quite there uh, where we originally set out to be. So uh, if you compare, you know, I'll break it down just a little bit too. If you look at part service and collision margin improvement, uh, that's not the result of any pandemic or pent up demand or anything. In fact, you know, everybody will tell you mobility is down 15 to 20% across the country. Demand, the demand side of it is actually um, a challenge. Those margin improvements uh, were originally targeted in the Go4 plan. Uh, they were built into all of our uh, KPIs, and COVID uh, provided us an opportunity to really land the plane uh, and, and, and work on everything and tear everything down uh, to get to our goal uh, at probably a little bit of a faster pace than we thought. If you go to F&I, uh, those margins, again, they're not subject to supply and demand issues at all. Uh, that's selling finance and insurance uh, business to people who have already brought, bought cars. That's a function of data, performance, training, uh, execution, organization, you know, that type of thing. Again, not subject to external uh, demand, demand and supply or environmental issues. Uh, moving up a little bit, if you go to retail's mar retail uh, GPU, um, for used cars, like it, it's, it's where we targeted to be. Uh, we're happy uh, with those margins. Uh, if you look at our peer group, they're not out of line. Uh, the company is where it should be. Uh, and if you look at new, uh, they're strong, but again, not out of line. And, uh, and historically, kind of where, we're, where we've been with you know, continued improvement. So we're, we're quite pleased with our margins, uh, but again, we feel like we have more runway there. I don't know if that provides you enough. Uh, well, and I do want to say one more thing too, is that on our adjusted EBITDA margin, we've hit a milestone, uh, not to be confused with the destination. Uh, we, we have lots more to go uh, with our EBITDA margin and, uh, and we're confident that we can get there. Well, that's helpful, thank you. Um, and then my next question, 
um, is, and, and Paul, I don't know if you want to take this one, but you know, not a lot of commentary around the uh, the huge digital um, uh, program or the or, or initiative right now. Um, any sort of update on kind of progress made in the quarter, and you know, any sort of milestones we should be looking for um, as we move through the year? Yeah, look, I I think for the used the used digital and our used program in general, it's going to be a bit of a slow roll. But this is something that we promised the board and our shareholders um, that we were going to do. I think I mentioned on the last call without blowing a hole in the side of the ship. So we don't have the luxury of well, we, we have the luxury. We don't want to waste it on that of um, just expensing this company to death. And so we're doing it in a slow and methodical way and building a proper foundation. So with that in mind, I would say, you know, it's on track. We've got other deals in the pipeline, and we're continuing to move the ball forward. I, I can't really say much more than that other than our, our initial um, uh, acquisition, which was Haldeman Motors, uh, you know, on its own, did very well uh, last quarter. Okay. Um, and maybe if I can just squeeze in one more. Um, you know, when you guys did the debt deal, you talked about $100 million in transaction value potentially available to you. Today you're talking about $150 million. Um, and it's not that long ago. I mean, that's a pretty sizable increase. Um, is there something that's changed in the marketplace that all of a sudden, um, you know, you're seeing more uh, deals in the pipeline? And I guess as part of that, um, you know, how are you feeling about your ability to, to transact at that volume? We're very confident in our ability to transact at that volume. And uh, f frankly, we're seeing a, a ton of action. Uh, the, the, that said, prices aren't necessarily um, in line with what our expectations of price, the way pricing needs to be. And so we're turning down as many as, you know, we, we, we look at. We're looking at everything. Um, I would say with that, we're also really um, disciplined and thinking strategically about the business and building out a, a fulsome market for ourselves in geographies that we don't exist. And so when, uh, when the opportunity arises, and we feel it's core to our, our business vision, then we, we're moving forward. All right. That's helpful. Thanks, folks. I'll pass along. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of David Ocampo with Cormac Securities. Uh, good morning, everyone. I just wanted to circle back on, on the M&A comments there, that pricing isn't quite where you want it to be. Is that more of a function of, you know, uh, irrational prices from the seller, or is it because things are getting bid up by, you know, more competition for the for the acquisitions that you're looking at? I don't think it's I don't think that it's um, competition. I think that people have um, either we have unrealistic expectations about we what we ought to be paying for the business, or um, people have unrealistic expectations with regards to their asking price. And I think I've mentioned this before, but the reason the team is here today is because acquisitions weren't done in a, a diligent matter previous to us. 
And so we have no intention of making the same mistake. So we're being very, very cautious um, and strategic and, you know, willing to work with vendors. But, but I think the reality of, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. There's a, there's a shortage of vehicles. There's, there's a bunch of knock-on effects as a result of the environment that we're in right now. And so being, you know, being very cautious and prudent is, especially with so many opportunities out there, I think it, it's in the best interest of the company and our shareholders. Right. And maybe just zeroing in here on, on right ride, I think you're up to seven standalone locations now, and that's from, I think, the only one from you know the start of 2020. How should we think about growth in that part of the segment, capital requirements, and, and you know the economics of the subprime market versus your traditional F&I business? Michael? Yeah, so the way to think of uh, right ride as far as growth is, is the term exponential. Um, it, we have seven standalone. We have been building a platform since 2018, uh, completely greenfielding that business and uh, spending a lot actually. You know, trying to, it was, it's kind of, that's the dark horse in our business. Uh, right now, that's going to drive a lot of future growth going forward. When you think about subprime, you have to think of it in terms of it's everything except prime or super prime. So it's not just deep subprime as far as like 30% interest rates or different things like that. But the market is really focused on the subprime and the near prime, which is at 7-8% uh, or, or just south of, of, of the prime business. And there's a lot of people in that category. Uh, it takes any, any uh, consumers everywhere from new to Canada to people, uh, millennials that, that are trying to buy a car with no credit, uh, all the way to people that have poor credit. So it's a large and growing market. Estimates are it's approximately 30% of all car buyers. And we have dedicated, specialized teams and locations uh, that are focused on serving that segment. And again, they're making strong contributions this year and just really starting to gain traction and growth. That's going to be a future story for sure, uh, now, that it be, now to, that it's become more visible. As far as the capital requirements go, it's, it's nothing. These are all greenfield. Uh, we rent locations. We have teams. We floor plan inventory. Uh, and then we go next, next to no working capital requirement. Thanks. That was very helpful. I'll hand the call over. Yeah. Okay. Our next question comes from the line of Michael Dumet with Scotiabank. Hey, good morning, guys. <clears throat> hey, Mike. Um, so... I'll start off with the U.S. business. Now, that business showed an improvement versus last year, but it was still um, EBITDA negative on a normalized basis. I guess the question is, you know, is this something we should expect going forward for a Q1, given the size and the seasonality in the business, or, you know, whether there's improvement there? And, you know, what we saw in the quarter were increased platform costs to initiate some of the successes in the US, uh, seen in Canada. So I would say in the U.S., uh, we are where we are as a result of expense control, and that might have had a negative impact on our inventory in the United States as well. And when we look at our U.S. business, we see the same opportunity in the U.S., similar to what we're, we're kind of um, gravitating towards Canada. 
And so I think I mentioned it in my in my, in my call script, but it's it's now time to enter the walk phase. And so we've we've got a handle on expenses. We 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 stopped the bleeding in that organization, and and now for us it's about growing the business, and so stocking the right amount of inventory, selling more vehicles, um, you know, going after F and I, putting the right people in place with the right processes, and frankly we're we're very bullish on the U.S. Got it. Thanks. And and just I guess based on the comments, Paul. I mean in terms of timing and when we should expect an improvement, I mean, should we see 2021 in the U.S. is still somewhat of a transition period before kind of, you know, larger expectations into 2022? So I would say that we have, you know, so pandemic aside, we have high expectations in the U.S. And since Jim's been there um, just over six weeks, our volumes are starting to go through the roof. We're becoming used car factory and really, really pushing volume as well as increasing margin, uh, just F&I. There, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things leveling up in the U.S. And so, I would, I, I would, I would have an expectation that the U.S. starts um, contributing in a meaningful way. Go forward. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, and then on the Canadian operating leverage. Um, now the Q1 OPEX was higher than that of Q3 of last year, despite the lower sales level. So I, I guess the higher level question, I mean, are, are the costs catching up to activity levels or are you adding additional costs to support further growth? And again, it could be having to do with M&A platform costs, things of like that. So just to sort of put it into context, please. Yeah, so uh, if I heard the question right, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, but if you're comparing the Q1 OPEX ratio to Q3, uh, that's that's an apples to oranges comparison uh, because uh, Q1 is historically always the highest OPEX uh, ratio of the year uh, because it's the it's the lowest volume uh, from a service and and sales standpoint, and so. Uh, we have we, we each each unit of sales bears a higher burden of overhead cost per unit. Um, but if you if you were to extrapolate our opex ratio for Q1 and you, and you were to look at it seasonally and seasonally adjusted, you're going to see that Q3 will will be significantly lower. Uh, okay, no, that's that's helpful. Um, and then I guess one last one on the outperformance for the new vehicle sales versus the industry, obviously quite massive. Um, and you pointed up to the drivers there, um, you know, and on previous calls, I think you've talked about how outperformance begets outperformance, but just, just to get your thoughts on whether or not you can secure enough inventory to continue to drive that outperformance again, maybe not similar to Q1, but um, sizably still. Yeah, so, we are abs- Michael, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. We're absolutely in pull position when it comes to inventory. And uh we've been on the inventory issue since October uh of last year. And uh we have one hundred and nine days supply, not including our production pipeline. Uh so we have complete visibility till August of this year, uh without disruption. Yes, you know, the waters will get a little bit choppy, uh, but uh we're we're out front. And, and I'll just add one thing, Michael. 
it's important for us. This is the metric that we use to measure ourselves with, like the absolute yardstick. And our view is as long as we're outperforming the market, regardless of, you know, inventory shortages or, you know, semiconductor issues or, you know, the, the, the foam for the seats, you name it. As long as we are outperforming the market, we, we, can't do it, we can't do any more. And so that is absolutely the metric that we use internally and hopefully that the, the street and investors use to, to, to measure us. Yeah, well, nine quarters straight, I've noticed it. Uh, thanks, guys. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Our next question comes from the line of Luke Hannon with Canaccord Genuity. Thanks. Good morning, guys. Um, you've touched on it a couple of times already on the call. Uh, I do want to come back to inventory for a second, specifically used inventory. You guys did a, a really good job of building that up um, over the past couple of quarters. I'm just curious, and I imagine that that stockpile leaves you pretty well positioned for the near term here, but I'm just curious, what are you seeing uh, now within the used car market? I would imagine prices for used cars um, are coming in higher, and yet, as was reflected this quarter, you guys also saw, saw some sizable um, margin improvement when it came to ut retailing uh, those used cars. So just curious if those dynamics are still sort of holding true now. So used car prices are still increasing on a week-over-week -week basis, and our volumes are still strong. And so as long as we, you know, and, and this is to Michael's point and our, our team using data to analyze and understand, you know, valuations on vehicles from trade-ins to uh, purchasing from dealers that might, might be um, sitting with stale inventory. I mean, we are using data um, daily to really drive decisioning around our valuations and what to stock, where to stock it, and so on. And so, so for, for, from our perspective, we're, we're well positioned against the backdrop of the market. Got it. Um, another one on just on the, I guess the, we'll call it the long-term uh, margin potential. Not not necessarily um, including the online business, so just with your your current footprint and assuming there's no sort of, I guess, further um, initiatives that you guys have in place. I, I Michael called out that you hit the three and a half percent adjusted EBITDA margins on a pre-IFRS 16 basis. Um, I guess I'm just curious, and there's a lot of puts and takes what's going on in the market, but if if the business as is today um, with the current platform that you have in place, what would be sort of your your long-term adjusted EBITDA margin guidance on a um, on a post-IFRS 16 basis? I think in the past you may have quoted four uh, percent. Is that still reasonable? Um, is there upside to that? Any thoughts there would be helpful? I mean, first off, we're, we're not providing guidance. Um, our Q1 performance was, you know, it was strong across the board, and it was our strongest Q1 in the company's history. Um, I think that what's happening is that all elements of our complete business model is contributing to the outperformance. And, you know, we we... As I've said before, we we expect to continue to outperform the market, and we're focused on continuing to improve our margins across all all of our segments um, relative to the historical performance. We've been doing that. We still don't know um, 
you know, when normalcy is going to return. And so we don't view the margin performance in Q1 as outside of what we think we're capable of delivering. Okay, that's helpful. Um, one last uh, quick one for me. Um, this one's for Mike. I, I saw you guys spend about $3 million in CapEx for the quarter. You know, historically, you've spent about $29 million um, per year. Is it fair to say that throughout the year, the balance of the year, maybe you'll catch up on some of your capital projects, or how should we be thinking about that? Uh, yeah, we shouldn't we shouldn't expect to move the number materially over the year. So it's very early into the year. So um, there's no real direction in terms of catching it up. We could we could come in below what the uh, what the average has been over the last two to three years, or we can come in a little bit closer. We'll have better visibility to it as we move through the year. Okay, great. That's it for me. Thanks. Okay, thanks. Our next question comes from the line of Maggie McDougall-Stifle. Thanks. Good morning. Hey, Maggie. Um, so, first question, not to beat a dead horse here, but I'm just uh, interested in um, touching back on this whole margin discussion. So, if I look back historically, Q1 is always the lowest margin quarter of the year, and um, from sort of 2015 to 20. 17, that would have been in and around sort of 2 to 2.5% pre-IFRS calculation and including one-time items. So considering what you've done in Q1 of this year and all the moving parts with the pandemic and the chip shortage and your inventory position and your own internal operational improvements, um, I, I believe what you've said is that we should expect normal seasonality this year, but can you perhaps just confirm that and, and maybe discuss if we should be thinking about the cadence of margin sequentially from Q1, Q2, Q3, which are, you know, that middle part of the year is your strongest margin um, season, uh, if, if that historical pattern should be expected to persist this year. Thanks. Michael? Yeah, so absolutely the historical pattern uh, will continue. Uh, again, I just uh, I, because we're cycling on margins, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll join you in the cycle and say that uh, we're we look at our margins every day, and we have targets that we set originally with the go forward plan, and although the margins have pr improved dramatically, uh, they are in line, and in a lot of cases, not even at where we think uh, they should be and where our original targets are. So we're on track for our targets. So we're not surprised by any of these margins. And I think if you look at high performers in the industry, uh, that, that would confirm that these margins are not out of line of, of what a high performing auto group uh, is capable of doing. Okay, uh, thanks. Yeah, you got it. The other question I had was just on, um, the, I guess, the state of the market and competition. So there's been a bunch of developments. Um, you know, we've seen the U.S. Uh, large peers being fairly acquisitive. Uh, there's always rumors that some so-and-so may be coming into Canada and, and, and buying a dealer group here. There's also been, um, you know, prospective IPOs as ideas floated in the market. And then we've also seen Clutch raise some money uh, for its online platform and continued growth. So I guess my question here is, A, um, what do you think about the prospect of a U.S. guy coming into Canada 
uh, B, you know, do you think there's room in the Canadian capital markets for a, a second public dealer group? And then C, how do you feel about um, I guess cost of capital and the ability to grow your digital footprint um, versus these e-commerce plays that are getting really high valuations. Got, got it. So uh, let me try and unpack that. Um, with regards to the U.S. peers, you know, I'd say if there's any U.S. peers approaching the market, we would welcome the competition. Um, I'll say the market in Canada is far more nuanced than many of the states in the United States. For example, there's no significant franchise laws protecting the dealers with lobby groups like they do in the U.S. Um, but I think it would also be a, a huge vote of confidence in our thesis that dealership consolidation in Canada provides a lot of opportunity um, when you perform at the level that we're performing at now and, and, and better. And so I, I see that as being you know, a positive. I'd say that, you know, given the new um, budget that just came out, which has an attack on premium luxury, um, you know, we have the government potentially putting a surcharge of um, 20% on vehicles in excess of $100,000. I think it's probably, um, you know, if, if if I were to look into a crystal ball, I've got to imagine that that would um, slow down the interest in premium luxury, but maybe you know accelerate accelerate the the desire for you know the the Toyotas and Hondas and General Motors and Ford. Um, with regards to private companies, you know if there's another if there's another private group going public in Canada or IPOing or 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 whatever, I, I'd say we also welcome the direct competition and and we're. We're very confident in our, our abilities and capabilities. There's, there's a ton of benefits to being a public auto dealer consolidator, but there's also a lot of pressures on a newly public organization. And, you know, from quarterly evaluations with the street to absorbing the cost structure associated with being public, you know, as it did with us, it'd, it'd probably take any organization that's deciding to go public a couple of years to prove out their performance um, and gain confidence with the investors and then have a valuation that's commensurate with their earnings. So I don't think it's just a, like, I don't think it's a cakewalk, but I, I, I think we'd, again, we'd welcome that. And thirdly, I, I, I heard you asking questions, um, the question kind of around digital retail and, you know, Look, I, I can point to one, which would be Clutch, and I know that um, uh, Clutch, for anybody on the call that doesn't know, is a, a digital retail um, company that I think just ha uh, got a valuation of $100 million, um, which is a huge vote of confidence into our thesis. Um, but that $100 million valuation, despite all, all the challenges they face, um, with inventory and so on, kind of validates the huge opportunity kind of that Auto Canada has um, to kind of create a very significant value uh, for, for our shareholders. Um, and I, I think you'd have to take into consideration our structural advantages that we already have in place, uh, like our national physical footprint, uh, access to used vehicles, unlike most other entrants in the space. 
So I think we have this ability. Um, we have this ability to take advantage where others m might not. Um, but, but also, as I mentioned in, the, in, in my prepared remarks, we've already begun building out our omni-channel and digital experience. And in Q1 alone, I think you'll recall I mentioned one out of every three cars that we retailed was sold through our online sales department. And these are online customers who maintain contact solely with our online sales department. And so whether they transact fully online or come into the store, um, we're already doing the digital transaction today, and we're just going to keep on iterating on that and expanding our capabilities. So did, does that answer the question? Yeah, it does. Thanks. Um, I actually just have one more question, and uh, then I'll, I'll jump off here. It, it, it does relate to sort of the costs that might be going through the um, operating expense line or perhaps don't think it's hitting the gross profit line, but if any, is, can somebody perhaps help me out just to understand what we should be thinking of in terms of expenses related to building out digital and how they flow through the P&L? Thanks. Sorry, the expenses of building the digital? Yeah, like is there is there cost buried in employee cost or admin cost as just an example related to um, growing that and building that digital retail platform? Well, the digital retail platform that we currently have that, that we're operating right now today has been built and we're continuing to iterate on that. And I think the costs are the costs and we have our team and we continue to push forward with that. Separate and aside from that, we also have um, the used digital, which I think I've, you know, we've mentioned a few times. It's going to probably take us probably about a year to put the scaffolding in place so we have representation across the country, and then we intend to tie it all together with a digital platform. Those costs have not been realized yet and probably will over the course of the next year and a half. Will they be capitalized, Paul, and will they hit the um, EBITDA margin? So they will be capitalized. They're not going to be a tremendous cost the way we see it. Um, this is, you know, the a large portion of digital retail, um, the way we see it, is we're going to we're going to expand on what we're doing currently and and overlay that on our used vehicle footprint. And so I, I would have expectations. The, the expense, the, the major expense will come um, when the time comes uh, with advertising and marketing right. and building the brand. Okay. Got it, got it. Okay, thanks a lot. Uh, have a great day, guys. Thank you. Our next question comes from Krista Bryson with CIBC. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I just have a few questions on the, the Go Forward initiatives. So I think you mentioned that your used inventory now sits at 89 days, assuming, um, assuming 60 sales per month per dealership. Is that a new kind of goal for you, like a, a Project 60 almost, as opposed to a Project 50? So Michael talked about this with data and analytics. Um, and I'll, I'll let Michael expand on it, but, but using the data that, and the system that Michael and his team have built, 
um, we had we had an essential uh, need for inventory given that we saw sort shortages in the supply chain, and so we 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 spooled up and we decided that it was time for us to actually expand inventory. I would not say that's a new normal unless we start selling more vehicles, but it certainly is the normal right now. Um, while inventory is had and is tight. Michael, can you expand on that, or would you like to? Or? Yeah, yeah. I think the short answer is Project 50 will turn into Project 60, will turn into Project 90, will turn into a Project 100, and uh, we'll just we're just going to keep going. And uh, we we like long term, the dream is we have 100 used vehicles uh, per dealership uh, per month. We're we're not stopping, and that market is is so big. Uh, that uh, and we have a national footprint that that that's going to be a growth uh, a growth uh, factor for us for for years. Perfect, thank you. And just on your service bay occupancy, I noticed that it, it improved during the quarter. Are you continuing to see? Did you see sequential improvement throughout the quarter? And are you seeing that? Uh, in April and May, kind of as these miles driven start to start to rebound off the lows. Yeah, great question, and that's one area of our business that's really uh, struggled uh, since the pandemic hit. Uh, and in March, we saw a nice comeback uh, in, in that business. And in April, we were up 13% over 2019 numbers. So again, we're not comparing to 20 to 2020 because that's not fair. And so, like to have 13% growth over 2019, that really, um, you know, our internal messaging was like services back. And so we're pretty excited about that. And we're excited about, you know, and that's high high financial throughput business, good gross margins, uh, goes right to the bottom line. And so with that business starting to come back in a meaningful way, uh, we're looking forward to uh, even improved uh, margins. Perfect. That's great. And maybe just one last question, a higher level question. Uh, the other week, Ford on its earnings call said that it was looking at maybe making some changes to its its order process after what they've kind of experienced through the pandemic here and, and through this chip issue and is looking at potentially lower dealer inventories, which would lessen their, their finance uh, lease uh, finance costs. To the uh, to the dealers, are you hearing this from any other OEMs, or is this maybe just a just a discussion that, that Ford's having initially? Uh, it's very OEM. Uh, it's very OEM specific. That's what we're hearing, and uh, and and so some some OEMs, for example, were, were historically carrying large day supply in Canada, and they're they're looking at COVID as a, as everybody's ability to right size uh, their business, uh, but. It's not like we're we're not hearing, and I'll let I'll let Paul speak to what he's hearing. But from an operational perspective, we we talk to the OEMs all the time, and we're not really hearing and seeing any evidence that there's going to be a material shift in how OEM, OEMs are managing their their inventory. I don't think so. I think this is a temporary issue, and things will revert to normal when things revert to normal. I mm -hmm. I this industry has been going for years, and you know this is. When you zoom out, you'll see this as being a blip for a couple of years on the on the graph. That Great, that's helpful. Thanks. Thanks. 
And our next question comes from the line of Maxim Shetiv with National Bank. Hi, good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Um, Paul, you made an interesting comment around, um, you know, the data uh, analytics and so forth. I'm just uh, curious to see, um, you know, whether this, uh, I guess, you know, new capability would allow you to better manage um, a flattening or, uh, I presume, an eventual decline in, in use pricing. So how do, how do you guys think about, you know, that potential eventuality? Sorry, can you repeat the question? Just in terms of you having right now deeper um, data analytics, and if you look at the use pricing, which is you know quite high right now, um, when we sort of project forward, uh, and if there is a flattening or a decline in use pricing, just the ability to manage inventory accretively for Auto Canada, you know how you know much more of a leg up you get in this cycle because you have these more sophisticated tools versus. Uh, versus, uh, you know, sort of the past history. Just curious how you think about this. Well, the way I would think about it is we're going to manage the decline in price similar to the way we manage the increase in price and and the restrictive flow of of inventory. And so, um, you know, using that data to help us uh, give us signals as to when to to buy or when to get off inventory, I – I think gives us a leg up uh, vis-a-vis our competitors, and so we attend right. exactly the opposite yeah. of what we did when we were stocking up. Yeah, I, I would like to add to to that that uh, our, our job is to not uh, manage the price of inventory. Our job is to manage the the spread or the margin of inventory, and we've put a lot of we've put a lot of work and practice into getting what we think is is a very normal and sustainable margin for used vehicles. And I, I want to you know, emphasize that because it's not even at what our target was. So our, our margin is, is at the very least sustainable. And as prices go down, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean our margin goes down. Uh, it's just you turn fast and you sell fast. And in fact, you know, when, when prices go down, the, the used cars become more affordable to the consumer and the demand will return because you have to understand that that there's a bit of confusion with the used car market because people think, you know, I've heard lots, I'm not saying to anybody in this call, but I've heard lots of people say it's pent up demand. It's not pent up demand. It's it's a disruption in supply and demand for used cars is below last year, which was below the year before. And so when prices come down and our margins are sustained, we expect volumes to return to pre pandemic levels. And then our profitability will only improve from there. Right, that, that's very helpful. Thank you. And then maybe one follow-up um, um, in terms of um, you know M&A and being able to convert you know pretty significant pipeline. Uh, Paul, do you mind maybe talking about? I, I don't know if you want to discuss kind of high level um, how you think about you know accretion and, you know, timing around, you know, that accretion and, you know, what, what metrics you guys are looking at internally. Um, so, yeah, maybe sort of any thoughts there, please. Well, I would just tell you that we believe that our business model is extremely strong and that overlaying our synergies onto already, um, you know, good businesses just provides or, or, or turbocharges these, these businesses. And so from the way we're thinking about it, um, 
we intend to use our existing platform that Michael and the team have done an unbelievable job of building and overlaying our growth vectors over top of uh, high-quality brands in high-quality geographies, we believe will give us asymmetric upside. I don't know what more to, you know, to say than that, other than we're being very disciplined. We have internal IRR and targets to hit. Our board is being very, very um, disciplined as well. And, and when we see the ability to overlay our capabilities on existing um, good assets, we are poised to take advantage of it. Okay, that's, that's fair enough. Thank you very much, that's it for me. Thank you. At this time, we have no additional audio questions. Well, great. Thank you very much, everybody. We uh, appreciate everybody's time. And again, I know this is off script, but I would say I, I really want to shout out to our our management team and our employees and associates that have actually made this quarter come true. I mean, we we are very, very excited about the opportunity for the future and frankly, couldn't be more proud of this platform and our team. So thank you very much and we'll look forward to talking to everybody on the next call. Thanks. And this concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.